That's kind of a workout right there, just going through that. Go ahead and grab a seat. It is wonderful to be with you, Overlake. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. I invite you to grab your notes out of your handout. We are continuing a series uh, called March Wellness, and I am very, very excited about what I see God doing in and and through us and to us. Um, I I do want to talk a little bit about the commitments. Last week, we talked about the commitments that God might be stirring us toward over the next 30 days. If you have not had a chance to fill out that commitment card, you can go ahead and do that. Drop it in the offering bucket as it's passed just a little bit later. Um, I want to say that we've put the commitments on the the hallway out there. And so as you're passing by, you might want to read some of those. Just pray over them. It's just an amazing thing to see what God is stirring up in us. And, 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 And I found a couple... They just brought me such great joy. Actually, all of them brought me joy, but, but there were a couple, so I just wanted to share um, these with you. The, this one says, I will not eat an entire box of Girl Scout cookies by myself. So that's a good one. Ho- hopefully that one's going well. Uh, and then th- this one, it's my March well commitment to get my wife and daughter to take Zumba. <laughs> uh, that's not your commitment, pal. <laughs> um, so we've, we've uh, had hundreds and hundreds of commitments come in. Again, uh, you know, if, if you haven't made one, let God stir something in your heart today and you can fill that out. And, and they range from all over the place, right? Commitments about attitude, commitments about, uh, you know, lifestyle, um, activity, diet, uh, j- just even kind of a mental posture. People want to get in the word every day. People want to, to stop doing bad habits. I mean, there's just all kinds of great, great stuff. And already we're hearing about some good results that are happening as, as people are getting moving, people are feeling stronger, more confident. Um, in fact, one, uh, we got this picture, one overlicker is just really, really doing well. Okay, not very funny, I get it. But today you can see that we are talking specifically about the area of wellness that has to do with our physical bodies. And so for many of us, this will be the only time we've ever, ever heard about stewarding our body in church. Like, and, and, and for some of us, we feel like, oh, is this, even, is this even spiritual? Does this even count? Well, look at this verse in Romans 16, 25. It says, now all glory to God who is able to make you strong, just as my good news says. You see, God wants us to live strong. He wants us to be in this place where we can live with energy, we can live with strength, we can live with confidence, and when we live like that, the scripture says, we reflect his glory. He gets glory from the way in which we steward our lives, and and specifically, you talk about our whole being, so it's our body, our mind, and our soul that we want to steward well. So today we're talking about the, 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 the body, the physical side of this equation. And I do want to just confess right off the, the, the front end, I can't point to chapter and verse where Jesus says, seek ye first to work out five days a week, 20 minutes a day. Uh, it's just not there. It's, it, man shall not live by bread alone, but by paleo. You know, like it's just not in there. Blessed are the crossfitters, for they will receive biceps. Like it's just not... It's not a part of how he taught. And so it's important for us to really get our minds around, well, let's think. What was the culture like that he was in? What did he say? What didn't he say? How did he live? Like, all of these things are important for us. 
So if you're filling in the blanks, the very first one is Jesus was involved in bringing wellness. If you want to know, did, did Jesus care about physical wellness? The answer is absolutely yes, he cared. This was a major priority in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at these verses. Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went all about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So you see, there are three things going on in Jesus' ministry. He's teaching, so he's unfolding the scripture, helping people understand what is the word of God, the will of God. And then he's preaching, he's proclaiming the good news of God's heart, the good news of God's kingdom right here, right now. And then the third priority of his ministry is he's healing. He's bringing physical wellness. He's curing all kinds of disease. Next verse, Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Now, I want you to think about the, the amazing thing, I think it's amazing, that basically a third of the priority of Jesus was, was healing, was bringing physical wellness. The first was teaching, the second was preaching, the third was healing. So yeah, Jesus absolutely cares about wellness. He cares about us being well. In fact, when God made everything, he made it all well. No disease, no illness, no brokenness in the physical world, the material world that we live in. But then if you go back in Genesis, you read the first few chapters, then you see fall, right? Sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it impacted literally every molecule of the universe, that has impacted everything. So yes, there's brokenness. Yes, there's disease. There's all kinds of this, this at war. In fact, if you want to think of it from just a spiritual dimension, that, that, that wellness it reflects the original intent of God, but, but this unwellness, this dis-ease, that, that's in discord from God's original plan. That's why when Jesus came, he brought healing. He's undoing the work of sin. He's literally combating uh, what it is that the enemy of God wants to wreak havoc on this natural order. Jesus is coming and undoing those things, and he's redeeming it. He's making it like it will be in heaven for all of eternity. So this idea of wellness is absolutely a spiritual concept. But what we want to do is we want to take a look at what is the culture that Jesus was, was living in, doing ministry in, and, and, and how did he live his own life, right? And the first thing we need to know about Jesus, we see uh, as he was growing up as a boy, that he was an active boy, that he was intellectually uh, sound and vivacious. We have at 12 years old, this snapshot where he was going toe to toe in the temple with the greatest theological minds of the day as a 12 year old. He was, he, he was duking it out theologically with the rock star rabbi of the day and having no problem holding his own. That's at 12 years old. And, and then after that, what we read in Luke 2:52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature in favor with God and all the people. So we see that there's this intellectual, mental flourishing 
There's a physical flourishing, and as he stewards these aspects of his being, he enjoys favor with God and with his entire community. In fact, that brings us to the next fill-in, that Jesus was active in modeling wellness as well as he was active in bringing wellness to others. And so let's just take a look at Jesus' life. We don't know too much about the years between his 12 his 12th year and his 30th year. 30 is when he started his earthly ministry. And in that gap, we don't have too much. Most of the gospels kind of pass those years. But there is an incredible amount of scholastic agreement. Most scholars agree that we can surmise a couple of things about that, that time period. The first thing you can basically you can surmise is that Jesus remained active in synagogue life all the way through his 30th year, that he was, he was active, voracious in learning. There are actually a couple of different indications in the scripture that Jesus knew the entire Old Testament by heart, the, 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 the Torah. And, and there's some, this was, by the way, fairly common rabbinical training for boys that they would have to memorize the Torah. So some of you, 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 get, you get upset when I challenge you to memorize a verse. And I just want to say, stop whining, okay? Like, like they, they would memorize the whole thing. And, and, and so, you know, Jesus would have continued in that kind of education. The second thing that we can surmise is that Jesus worked. He was active and working in his father's ca- carpenter shop. His dad was a carpenter. Joseph, uh, he probably worked with stone as well as with wood. And then Almost every scholar believes that Joseph died sometime between Jesus' 12th birthday and his 30th birthday, that in the, in the course of those years, Joseph, Joseph passed away. So Jesus, as the oldest in the family, would have taken over the carpenter shop. So he would have been the one in charge of running the business and making things happen in order to provide for his mom and for his younger siblings. Here's what I want you to think about. Even in today's world, those folks who work in construction, carpentry, stone masonry, any of that stuff, you can sort of spot them out because they work their muscles daily and, and they're, they're, you know, they're well-muscled. But Jesus was working in a day before power tools. There were no skill saws. There were no nail guns, right? So everything sawed or hammered or hauled, Jesus did with his body, with his own muscles, So I just want you to think about that, that that was his life to age 30. So I don't know how you picture Jesus in your mind. It really doesn't matter to me if you think of him like Dwayne the Rock Johnson in Hercules, or if you like the Jim Caviezel in The Passion of the Christ. It doesn't matter. All I want you to know is that he would have been active. He would have been, he would have been well-muscled. Whatever his frame was, whatever he looked like, he would have stewarded his physical body well just by activity, just by necessity. Then we see he starts his earthly ministry at age 30. And remember, it's a mobile ministry. He doesn't put up a little, a little shack and says, you know, the Messiah is in and people come and and then they meet him, you know. He, he is mobile. He is like constantly on the move. I want you to think about his lifestyle. Every year they would have made the trip down to Jerusalem and back. They would have done this by foot. That's the equivalent of hiking past Ellensburg and back, right? Why would you, you know? And, 
And, and yet that's constant that he would have done that. And, and, and everywhere he went, he, he would have walked. I mean, we see a couple of times that he and his disciples used a boat for transportation. But even then, there was a time when Jesus said, oh, you guys go on. I'll stroll out a little bit later, you know. It's Bible humor. It's okay. You can, you walked on the water. Okay, all right. Uh, there was only one time in scripture where we have evidence that he rode, and that was on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right before his, the week of his passion and crucifixion and resurrection. So I want you to see that the, the image we have of Jesus is that he was constantly on the move. A couple of times in scripture, we see he sat down to teach, but more than that, we see him standing to teach that he walked where he went. Often he would teach and heal along the way. And then when he got there, he would stand and teach and proclaim. And, and then he would leave that ministry experience and he would walk away. He was constantly on the move, right? I was reading through John chapter 10 this week, just as a part of my own devotions. And I, I was watching, you know, in, in Chapter 8 and 9, uh, he's in Jerusalem, he's teaching. He actually gets in a little bit of trouble with the Pharisees because he proclaims that he and the Father are one. And that was the big deal. He's saying, hey, I, God, you know, we, we are one. And uh, that was a big deal. So all of the Pharisees wanted him dead right away. And so he left town to kind of let things cool down a little bit. The scripture says here, John 10, 40, he went beyond the Jordan River near the place where John was first baptizing and stayed there a while. Now, what's interesting about that verse is that Jerusalem is not exactly right next to the Jordan River. That, that, was, a, that was a hike, and, and there's a little bit of you know, guesswork about exactly where it was along the Jordan that John was baptizing, but it's like, that's a, at least 20, 25 miles that he hikes down there, just, oh, I get out of town, boom, I hike down there. And then a couple of days later, he hears that his buddy Lazarus is sick, so he comes back to Bethany, again, about 20, 25-mile hike back. Well, I just want to tell you, if you're always on your feet, and you're hiking 50 miles a week, that's like down to Federal Way and back, you know, you're just, that's just a part of a normal week for you, you're going to be in pretty good shape, okay? So, so that's... That's the, I want you to understand, when you read about Jesus, you think about Jesus, when even when we're interacting with Jesus in our prayer life, understand the life that he chose to live was modeling active well-being, physical well-being. But then take it just one step further, extrapolate one step further. Everybody he was talking to, all of the people that he was doing ministry with, they were all living the same lifestyle that he was. All, everybody, you know, Jesus took a trip to Jerusalem every year. So did the entire nation. They were all hiking and, and, and camping out and road tripping like that. And, and, and even the way in which the crowds followed Jesus, they were all doing that on foot. They were all tracking with him on foot. And, and so what would the commerce be like? Well, you know, it was an agrarian society. You're talking about farmers. You're talking about carpenters and stone masonry. And you're talking about people who would do all of these things with their hands. And they would, they would literally take their crops and their goods into town to sell and set up shop and sell it. And they would take it all back. And like, this was a constantly active society in which Jesus was ministering into. Now, there was one group of people that did not live this kind of active life. There was one group who would ride in their chariots everywhere they went. One group who 
had all kinds of, of options in terms of how much food they ate and what they ate. And one group who, who would even you know, lounge on silk couches during the day, but when they went out, they would hire people to hoist them above their shoulders and walk them through the crowds. That, that was the, the wealthy. And Jesus did have a word for them, and that word was woe. So, so Jesus does address this issue in kind of a roundabout way. I just, I want you to kind of get this idea of what the first century culture was like and, and how Jesus was processing. And if everybody in the whole society was constantly on the move and working with their muscles, constantly moving around, you could see why it was never a priority for Jesus to say, you know, you really ought to work out 20 minutes, five days a week. It just wouldn't have hit his radar. It, just, it, it wouldn't have been something that, that he would have needed to address. However, if Jesus was doing ministry in America today, do you think he would have? Last year's statistics, most of you know this, 68% of Americans are overweight. And the, the percentage wrestling with obesity is about 33%. In children, it's about 31% of our kids are overweight and 17% of them are wrestling with obesity. Now, I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but I want you to understand that, that obesity, there are a lot of wellness implications to that. There are a lot of stewardship implications to that. And, and so I'm trying to just graciously get, would Jesus have addressed this issue if he were walking around in America today? And I've got to conclude, yeah, he would. He would because, and he would have done it with incredible grace. He would have revealed the Father's heart for each one of us. I mean, there would have been no guilting of, of anybody. Jesus would have been exactly who he is in the scripture, but he would have addressed it because it's an issue that needs to be addressed. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of jump in and we're going to talk about some, some of the practical ramifications of things that we can build into our lives, especially if we're going to do this March wellness challenge. And the first is, just remember, no shame. No shame, just stewardship. That's where we're going after. No shame. In fact, uh, and I've had several of these conversations already this week and even this morning. When you hear a voice of shame, when you hear a voice that, that comes into your head that is a guilting voice or a demeaning voice, I want you to understand that is not the voice of Jesus. It's just not. So you can just reject that. That is not the voice of Jesus. To make us feel down, discouraged, depressed, ashamed of where we, no, 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 no. That's not how Jesus operates. He loves you. He loves you perfectly right now. But it's an invitation, and the invitation is to stewardship, that we would care for our bodies in such a way that would bring glory and honor to God. And I say all this because I want you to understand it doesn't matter where your starting place is, that Jesus is inviting all of us to engage in stewardship today. And so I just want to say really, really clearly, Overlake and to those watching online, that you are not too old to be a good steward, you're not too young to be a good steward, you're not too out of shape to be a good steward, you're not too anything to be a good steward. What matters is that we respond to his invitation today. Look at what Psalm 139 says. Speaking to the Lord, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. 
Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. When you look at that passage, friends, what I want you to see, no matter where you are in the stewardship spectrum, I want you to see that that verse is true for you right now. It's not like it's gonna be true when you reach some level of physical fitness. No, no, it's true right now. Right now you can thank God for knitting all of your delicate inner parts together wonderfully. You can thank God for making such a marvelous creation right now. These things are true for you right now. But even as you praise God and you read this verse as a form of praise, it might also be a great thing to just ask, and Lord, would you please build in me the determination and the courage to be a good steward of this vehicle that you have housed me in? The next fill-in is no comparisons. It does us absolutely no good to compare ourselves with anybody else. I mean this so sincerely from the bottom of my heart. Please do not compare yourself to anybody else. You are unique, wonderfully, marvelously made uniquely. We all have different sizes and shapes, bone structure, like, uh, you know, metabolism. It is a totally unique you. You can't compare yourself with anyone else, and it doesn't do any good. Don't compare yourself with people who are more fit than you. That just makes you feel horrible. Don't compare yourself with people who aren't as fit as you. That makes you proud. That's even worse than feeling horrible, right? No, no, just don't, just kind of release it, right? Do not compare yourself. It might help you to think that, you know what? God built some people like a Porsche, and he built, he built other people like an SUV, and still other people like a Mack truck. And it does no good to wish that you were, you know, built like, like but, but what is important is that you service your vehicle well so that it will function well all the rest of your days. And then the promise of scripture, obviously, is that not only does God receive glory from how we steward ourselves, but at some point, God is going to glorify us as well. And that's the scripture that you see on your outline, Romans 8, 23. It says, we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Friends, this is true. We do. Right? We do long to be released. This, this is the meantime that we're living in. And, and especially for those of you who wrestle issues of disease, there, there's something chronic that you're fighting. The, this idea of just wrestling, we, we groan for the day when we'll be released from these bodies. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. And that's, that's the hope right there. God receives glory from our stewardship now, but one day he will glorify our bodies. Amen. Next fill-in, get moving. Get moving. It's time, friends. And, and I want to tell you something. This is a quote. You might want to write it down. Some of you have already heard this. Sitting is the new smoking. Sitting is the new smoking. Now, it's probably never going to be rebel without a cause kind of cool to sit, but I want you to understand that it is just as detrimental to our bodies. In fact, even more so if you'll believe this. 
So I want you to think for a second about your, your daily life. I want you just to do a quick mental tally. How many hours do you sit? Right? You get up in the morning and you sit with a cup of coffee. You hop in your car and you sit as you drive to work. Some of you have long, long commutes. It's a long time sitting. Then you get to work. What do you do? You sit. You sit in front of a computer. You sit in your meetings. You sit. You sit. Then you go home and maybe your kids are in sports. So what do you do? You take them to sports and then you sit in the bleachers and watch them. They're running. You're sitting, right? <laughs> and then when you're done with your day and uh, kids are in bed, what do you do? You sit on the couch and relax. I don't know about you, but it's frightening when you start to actually do the math. How many actual minutes am I sitting every day? And then I found this article. It just got published a couple months ago. It says a new study that's running in the annals of internal medicine found that this kind of sedentary behavior increases our chances of getting a disease or condition that will kill us prematurely, even if we exercise. So in other words, sitting isn't undone by exercise. We think that 20 minutes is going to undo the 12 hours, but it's not. Keep going. It says physical inactivity has been identified as the fourth leading risk factor for death for people all around the world, according to World Health Organization. Prolonged sitting, meaning sitting for 8 to 12 hours or more a day, increased your risk of developing type 2 diabetes by 90%. Yeah, that's big. That's big. So, what I'd like for you to do right now is stand up. <laughs> just stand up right now. Just stand up, everybody. All right, stretch, stretch your hands up. Uh, stretch. This is our charismatic moment of the day right here. All right. Love it. Okay. Oh, stretch it out. Okay, now go sit back down. <laughs> That's all we got. I, wanna th I want you to challenge you to think about what this means for your life. I want you to cha challenge you. Maybe you build some things in to disrupt your sitting, right? The article went on to say that there are small things that help, like um, even uh, the, the commercials that come on during the television show. Uh, most of us are now fast-forwarding past those commercials. But it said, no, no, use that time to get up and move around the house and get a, you know, put a load of laundry in or make a trip to the bathroom or something. Uh, do not just go to the pantry and grab that box of Girl Scout cookies. But the idea is there's many things you can do uh, during the commercial time. I, I just want you to know it's impacted the way I think even about how we do life here at Overlake on our staff. So what we've done a little bit is when we can do a stand-up meeting, we do a stand-up meeting. And it's just interesting. Number one, it tends to be pretty effective. Number two, they go a lot shorter, right? Like they're just kind of over quicker. Uh, another thing we've been doing, our creative meetings meet on Wednesday. We've been starting our meetings with the seven-minute workout, right? Seven minutes, get the heart pumping, get the blood flowing. It's interesting after that seven minutes, uh, there's a lot more vivacious interaction in those creative meetings. It's just a fun thing to see. So I don't know what it is that God's prompting you to do with this get moving challenge. I just want to challenge you to think differently about the way in which you would approach your week. I have a friend named Dana, and she gave me permission to share a story. She, she uh, is a little bit shorter than I am, and she dropped from 300 pounds down to 200 pounds. And uh, she's, she feels great. She has all this kind of energy. She's vivacious. She was joking with me. She says, Mike, I am the fittest fat lady I know, right? <laughs> and, and, and 
she, she was talking to me about the ways in which she did. I was really curious about her story. So she did it by biking and running and hiking. And she had this goal every day she wanted to be active, which, by the way, that's my 30-day challenge. I want to be active every day. And she said she loved building the friendships, the social network that came with it. The, she enjoyed accountability. She had workout buddies to, to work with and that kind of thing. And I said, Dana, what are three or four things that you did just to change the approach that you had to getting moving? And, and so she gave me three. I want to share them with you. The first, she says, I made the choice, stares over the elevator all the time. She said, you know, it's just, it's, I used to ride everywhere. Now I'm just, I'm walking everywhere. And, it, and just that mental shift, it changes things. Number two, she said, carry groceries versus use the shopping cart. She goes, I carry my groceries. She says, as a woman, you know, middle-aged woman, the muscle, it's hard to build muscle. And she she said, the first thing is, you know, you you work out your arms a little bit carrying that basket around. And she said, the second benefit is you don't buy that much. (laughs) I told her that will never work at Costco. Do not try that at Costco. And then the third thing that Dana does that we can make, she parks far from where she wants to be instead of parking close. Now, we've already solved that problem for you at Overlake Christian Church. You got to park about two miles away and get here. But, but I want you to understand, and then she said the two benefits that she receives, one is she says it helps with the walking, right, the, the, every step counts, but number two, she said, it makes me feel good that I'm actually saving a, a, a close parking spot for someone who might need it, right, for, for a mom with a baby or, or somebody who there's an actual need there. So interesting little choices she's made to get moving. I hope that helps in terms of how we might think about it. The next one, again, this, this fits in, wear a pedometer. If you have the opportunity, wear a pedometer. And what this will show you is it'll either be alarming in the sense of, oh, I only moved that many steps today, or it'll help you get credit for the actual steps you are taking that you're really just not processing. So for me, I kind of think that's where it is. This will actually be an encouragement to you. Oh, I'm actually moving more than than I thought I was moving. Uh, my friend Jana wore a pedometer last week. She was working the refresh conference that we had here, and it was really interesting for her to process with her husband. After, the, the, on the first day she worked the conference, she walked seven miles, and on the second day she walked eight miles, all within our building, right? Just, just making it happen. And so it's a, kind of a form of encouragement. If you got that pedometer, it's like, oh, yeah, I really am moving, and, and it'll help you. Okay, these are just stewardship suggestions. Again, nothing that we're talking about is uh, something that's going to make you look great in a bathing suit this summer, right? Uh, they, they will help toward that goal, but that's not the guarantee. The guarantee is that, that we want to be good stewards of our physical vehicle. Now, last thing I want to share right here is that there are some incredible benefits to exercise, to getting moving, to, to, to having this as a priority. So I just I want to show you these. These are non-physical benefits of one hour of exercise. And you might want to write these down. They're incredibly motivating. The first is that there is a calming influence in handling stressful situations. You will have less anxiety in your life after that hour of exercise. Second thing, it keeps you well. It increases and boosts your immunity, that hour of exercise. Number three, it provides sounder sleep. It, you, there's a better sleep promotion, that hour of exercise. 
The fourth thing, it fuels brain clarity. And I need that desperately, right? So that exercise will strengthen your brain. And the fifth thing is it increases your confidence and your positive outlook. Now, I want you to look at those five benefits. Who came up with those five benefits to exercise? Was it a group of trainers in the 1950s that said, oh, let's program this in so exercise will be more fun, you know? Was it Jack LaLanne? Like, he's like, hey, look, I... No, they didn't make these benefits. God did. See, Jesus is the one who knit you together. He's the one who made you the way that you are. And these are natural positive benefits for stewarding well this physical vehicle that he has given to you. Okay. Like all of our weeks, I, I, I want to make sure that you don't just hear me talking about this uh, during this series, but you actually see a picture of, of what it looks like. So, Mike, would you come up here? Mike's a friend of mine. I've asked him to come and share with us today. Would you please welcome him as he comes and shares his story? Good morning. I was blessed 10 years ago when my wife, Terry, asked me to join her in attending church one Sunday. When she escorted me through the doors of Overlake, my life changed. I felt a warmth and a happiness that filled my body. I believe I am very fortunate because it was something I had not felt before. As I became stronger in my belief, a sermon of Pastor Mike's explaining that God placed each of us on the earth for a purpose really hit me. That is something I didn't realize and didn't understand until that Sunday. As I reflected on my life, my purpose was quite evident. All my adult life, I had been serving and protecting. When I was drafted into the Army, my life's purpose in God's eyes became evident. The battery of tests we took indicated that I would best serve as a military police officer. After serving two years as an MP, I returned home from the war and searched for a career. Again, my purpose must have prevailed because I applied, tested, and was hired as a firefighter for Seattle. It has been my joy in life, my focal point. Presently, I am a volunteer at Overlake, serving with the health and safety team, again, in sync with my purpose in life. I love my job as a Seattle firefighter. Even though the duties can be physically demanding, it is my passion because it's what I love to do. The work can be quite grueling, intense, and physically overwhelming with possibility of injury. Thus, a high fitness level was a must. To be prepared for these demands, every fire must be physically fit and mentally prepared for what we do on a daily basis. Therefore, many to all of us have a regimen to keep fit. Also, because of my family history, I've, I have valued physical wellness for almost 50 years. I started in high school with team sports, but it wasn't until college that I became involved with weightlifting. Powerlifting was a rush, but, heavy, but lifting heavy weights eventually took a toll on my body with injuries. Hence, I moved to bodybuilding. It was much easier on my body, but still gave me a great satisfaction. 
About 10 years ago, the time that my life changed with accepting Jesus, I turned my fitness goals to a competition called the Firefighter Combat Challenge. Every component of the event is what a firefighter could do in the field. However, not all tasks are done continuously. Performing the components one after another can push you to the physical limit. The challenge is a focal point of my physical endeavor. As I participated in the challenge, either as a member of a five-person team or in a tandem event, I realized my favorite was the tandem. My teammate runs the first half, ending at the Kaiser, and I finished the event. My partner, Dan Nelson, a former UW varsity crew member, and I have competed together for three years, locally and at the Worlds. Our best competitive finish at the Worlds was second in 2013. Presently, we rank third. We will again compete this year. The challenge itself puts you on stage in front of all your peers. And of course, you don't want to fail. In the tandem event, my partner is counting on me to finish. But before I run my half, I pray to God for his help in finishing and that I do not fall during a dummy drag. Any fall breaks the focus and the momentum to finish. Undoubtedly, he has always answered my prayers. We have always completed the course. However, all I have done to maintain a high level of fitness for firefighting, powerlifting, bodybuilding, and now the challenge have been met with setbacks. As I stated, I have sustained injuries throughout the years. The seriousness of these have been a right hip resurfacing seven years ago, a total shoulder replacement on the right side with two tendon reattachments three years ago, and just recently, three months ago, I had my left shoulder replaced with three more reattachments. Coming back from these injuries has required painful physical therapy and muscle rehabilitation that takes months. However, it is interesting to see how my levels of health and wellness are like a catalyst, giving me energy and determination in helping me to recapture and to continue my pursuit of fitness and to support my purpose for God. One of the verses that inspires me is found in Philippians 4.13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe that is true for me, and I believe that is true for you as well. Thank you for allowing me to share my story this morning. So Mike is a firefighter, and as such, he maintains this level of physical fitness. He can beat me in arm wrestling. He can sling you over his shoulder and carry you out of a burning building, right? That's, that's what he does. And, but what's interesting is this competition that he mentioned that he is currently ranked third in the world, he and his buddy. Third in the world in this firefighter competition um, and it's in his age category, which his age category is over 50. But what he didn't share is how old he is. Mike is 17 years over 50. You are ancient, dude. <laughs> 
So, so 67 years old, and he puts many of us to shame. And, and the, the, this, this picture, it's not the idea of comparison, but it's the idea of that's the, that's the kind of path that, that we can walk on and that we can fulfill our purpose. And not only does he fulfill his purpose in his vocation, but he also is, has energy and, and uh, capacity, you know, courage and strength to go after the ministry that God's called him to go after. So that's really where I want us to kind of get this place. I was talking to my buddy Mark, and he told me of his father, who is 91 years old. Every day he does hundreds of sit-ups, and he leads worship at his local church. That's a beautiful picture. Uh, I've shared this story before, Pastor Dale Schneider, and, and he has done all of these trips over to Southeast Asia where he, these mission trips where he trains pastors and church leaders. He brings a seminary level of education to those who just don't have access to formal theological training. And I was talking to him, how many trips has he taken? He's taken, uh, you know, I, I can't even remember, like 15, over 15 trips. I said, Dale, when was the first trip you took? How old were you? And he said, I think I was 70 when I took my first trip. See, that's the picture that I want us to paint. The idea that, that we, we get this opportunity to steward our physical bodies well so that we will have the strength, the energy, and the, the confidence, the courage to, to serve God wherever it is that he's calling us to serve, that we would reflect his glory and ultimately, that we would be glorified when our time on earth is over. There's a verse I put on your outline. It says, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. You see, the picture that I want us to paint is a picture of our body and our mind and our spirit, not as separate entities, but as one interconnected whole that we steward well for the glory of God. That, that, that we would actually, as, a, as an aspect of our spiritual journey, that, that we would constantly be mindful of, of the discipleship that is required. That, that I am not my own. No, I'm bought with a price. And I do want to bring us to Jesus. Jesus has been the foundation for this message and this entire series. He's the one that brings wellness. He's the one that modeled wellness. But I want you to understand that there is no part of Jesus that says you have got to, to reach some level of physical fitness before he will love you. Not at all. No, no, friends, Jesus loves you perfectly right now right now. And the invitation that he offers, it's the invitation that's always available, is that he invites you to know him. He invites you to, to be loved by him and forgiven by him and saved by him. And, and if we say yes to that invitation, we say, Jesus, yes, we give you our lives, then what we do is we trade in life under our leadership and we trade it for life under his authority. And so really, it's interconnected, isn't it? That, that, that we, we want to steward not only our hearts, but our minds and our bodies as well, knowing that it's under his leadership, that he's the one who invites us to be good stewards. So why don't you do this? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes, and we're going we're gonna to pray. And as we go into this time of prayer, I'm guessing that for some of you, there has been a thought 
that God's been stirring the entire time. There's some level of wellness that he's inviting you into that, that you know, you, you, you feel just a little bit of that tug on your heart. Yes, yeah, Lord, I, I hear you. I, I want to be responsive to you in this moment. Maybe there are some here who have never said yes to a relationship of love with Jesus. Maybe that's where you start. Lord, I, I believe in you. I wanna trust in you with my life. I offer you my life now. Lord Jesus, wherever we are in this conversation, we ask that you would meet us. Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would fill our lives with your wisdom, with your counsel, with your guidance. We wanna be great stewards because we want to live our entire lives in such a way that you receive glory. We wanna be ready to say yes to you whenever you call, whatever it is that you would have us do. And so, Lord Jesus, we, we just offer you now the whole of who we are, our bodies, our minds, and our soul. And Jesus, we just, we just ask that, that in love that you would receive this gift and in love that you would help us to steward well. Lord, for those who have never said yes to a relationship with you, my prayer is that you would meet them, that you would whisper courage to them right now, that you would whisper your grace and your love to them. Help them step across the line and say yes to you today. We pray all this knowing that you are right here in our midst, that you hear the deep cries of our heart, and we are so thankful for that. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>